You asked for it. You got it. It's our Auction Strategy Bonanza 2024 edition. A full episode dedicated to everything you need to know about fantasy baseball auctions. How to bid. How to prepare. How to nominate. And everything in between. Kick back, relax, and enjoy one of our yearly staple episodes next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and we have come to one of our staple podcasts for the year. It is our auction strategy podcast. You've asked for it. You've waited for it. All things auction, strategy, 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 the whole way. And uh, actually, Ruvain came up with, with our following guest. He's like, hey, we should have this guy on. I'm like, oh, my God, that's the perfect person. I want a warm welcome to the show from Rotowire, Jeff Erickson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, guys. And Ruvain, thanks for suggesting me. Always appreciate it. Always good to do you guys' podcast. Always fun. So many awesome podcasts in our space right now, and I'm happy to be part of one. Oh, fantastic. So glad you're on the show. And let's get right right down to it because we have so much to talk about. And um, before asking specific questions, just generally, what is your general auction strategy that you come in with? What are your main rules that you live by? Stay active. I like being involved in almost every player if possible. You know, it, it does a couple of things. One, keeps me attuned to what it gives me a feel for the values in the auction. Two, just I, I it's fun it's enjoyable it's a, it's it's a fun way to do that and three it kind of disguises who i'm in on and who i'm not in on uh if i'm bidding on every player you know to, within reason you know you throw out a rocky starting pitcher okay fine i'll sit on my hands but you know early on especially i think it's it it kind of throws off the send okay he's on this guy um you know where whereas i think and you know it's just other times it allows you also to be there when that ex- inexplicable bargain comes up, and it happens all the time, guys. Every auction I've been a part of, there's a there's an early lull, and a player goes for three to four dollars cheaper than he should. Whether it's baseball or football or golf, you name it. All the auctions I've done, there's always that lull. And if you're involved in every player, well, that then you're gonna have a you're gonna have a, be- a chance to be there when the wheel goes round. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree with that. I mean, you, you've been in auctions that, that, that I participated in. Uh, I bid on almost every player because I don't want you to know whether I want a guy or not. Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, added bonus, too. When you're bidding early on, early and often, it speeds up the auction, too. It gives your yes. uh, competitors that just a, if, even if it's one second less to, to think about what they want to do. I mean, granted, that requires you to be uber prepared. You need to know who you like, have a feel for the dollar values. Granted, they won't always be, uh, you know, at, at you, you might not even be accurate with it, but I think it's a good way to get a feel for those for the room as well. And also just gives less time for your competitors. Totally agree. All right, Ruvain, what are your main rules that you live by? Go for value early and often. Let, let the auction come to you. The values will come down. If the room is hot, the room will cool down. You will get the values later on in the draft and always consider the auction table like a poker table you can't be on every hand but you can at least see the flop you can bluff you can do whatever you need to you can intimidate you can do whatever you especially if it's a live auction you can do whatever you want just like a poker table and you can influence the room just by the way you're bidding by the way you're talking there's a whole bunch of different stuff you can do that you can just take control and you can be the main point of the auction if you do that you have a better chance i mean as long as you do all the preparation there's a better chance of succeeding in the auction itself ruvain i got to keep you away from my poker table at first pitch arizona oh yeah um believe it or not i am i am very conservative when it comes to poker so i'm a little bit more um active when it comes to auctions i don't mind bidding more on auctions than poker table poker i hold it a little more close to the vest okay i've actually never played poker before is it a good game no it's a blast i'm kidding it's a very i just i just bluffed right there see Mm, mm, I see what you did there. Gotcha. Yeah, we used to play poker all the time together, and he's he's one of the best bluffers out there. So yeah, 
<laughs> uh, yeah, bluffing is a big thing. So uh, obviously the number one rule is to have fun. I don't even consider that a rule. I think that's just uh, – that this is what we do, and so it's ingrained right. in it. But I'll give you three rules that are sort of specific. Um, well, number one, auctions are zero-sum games. If a player goes for $5 over your values, that means there has to be another player $5 under your values. So you don't have to get stuck up in, oh, everyone's going expensive. There's going to be values later. Have patience, right? Number two, all players should either be bought in cold sections, that's where they're going undervalued, or in hot sections by paying a smaller relative market premium. And what I mean by that is that it's okay to buy a player over value, but don't buy it. As m- the the amount you go over shouldn't be as much as everyone else. Everybody's going four or five dollars over value. Going one or two v- dollars over is fine. It's not what Larry Schechter would tell you. Larry Schechter would say if a player is worth eighteen dollars, you got to bid seventeen ninety nine or less. I'm telling you, it's okay mm-hmm. to go over, but make sure that overage, that premium you're paying, is just a little bit smaller than everybody else's. And number three, nominations matter. When you're nominating a player. You don't want to just blindly do something. You want to have a purpose. It has to be uh, for the right reasons, and there's many ways to do it. And we'll get into a lot of that as we go, but I thought I'd just throw some general rules out to you. So, um, Jeff, let's talk about auctions versus snakes, uh, versus snake draft. How do you prepare differently, or do you prepare differently for an auction than you do for a snake draft? I mean, you have to, right? Uh, You have to – I think a couple things you have to do. Uh, One – you have with a snake draft. There are certain players you're just not going to get, period, because of where you are in the draft order. And Ariel, I know you and I have had many conversations of where we like to be in the draft order. If you like to be in the middle, you're not getting Ronald Acuna. Period. Stop. Full stop. Done. Uh, whereas in an auction, you get any single player you want, but it comes with the cost, and you have to prepare yourself for that trade off. Uh, you get to choose a little bit more about how you value the players, where you want to put some of your, wh- how you should allocate your, your, your auction dollars, your, your capital is, if you will. Um, and three, I, I think you really need to focus on scarcities, whether it's scarcity of position, scarcity of, of a stat. Um, these are things that uh, you really have to focus on in your player pool. If you're in an AL only league and you, you're not really aware that maybe second base in that particular given year is weaker, you may be caught kind of off guard a little bit. Whereas if you're in a snake draft, maybe you don't notice it as much. Anything to add, Ruve? Yeah, I think when you're going into a snake draft, you have to look more at the ADP because because going into a snake draft, you have an idea of where you're going to be drafting. You have an idea of the ba- basically which players are going to be available to you, so you can prepare much e- much easier that way. When it comes to an auction, you have to have the values of every single player ready for you because you can get every single player. There's no player off limits. I'll say I actually pay attention less to ADP in a snake as I do in an auction because I want to figure out where the hotspots are going to be, where are the pockets of value. And in a snake, I shouldn't say that I don't don't look at it at all. I, I look at it in the middle rounds. In the early rounds, I take the players who I want. I take the build that I want. I don't care if, if somebody's going a little bit early in the first round or second round. I take who I want. And after a certain round, after you know rounds 15, 17, whatever it is, I don't care if, if ADP is a certain certain watch. I want those low-value players that I want. I want my guys. I do look at it in the middle because, obviously, you don't want to pay three rounds over where, where you should if you couldn't. But an auction, the whole thing is looking at the market, seeing where you think you're going to get the bargains from. And so the preparation is very intense of market versus value. I want to ask, how does an online auction differ from in-person? And I think they are really different animals because there's so many things going on. Jeff, what do you think? How do you think that it differs for you? I'm vigorously shaking my head. Um, Absolutely true. Um, They are vastly different. For one, I mean, the, the whole plus one factor. You hit, you know, if you hit that plus one button right after somebody does a jump bid, guess what? You're stuck with that. Whereas in an auction, in a live auction, that's never happening. That's just one thing that could just never possibly happen. You, you never say, you know, you're not, you know, you're never saying plus one and someone says 17. Some guy like me who always likes to say 17, for instance, um, you know, that just does not, that's just not a thing. Uh, 
the flip side is you have a finite amount of time. You know when that bid is going to end unless you've got a bad connection. Uh, um, which, in which case, by the way, connection matters a heck of a lot here too. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, being uh, having the proper line, the proper equipment matters a lot more. It's just, you, you know, there's visual tells and cues that you get in the room that you can't get online. There, there's bidding cadences that you get in, in the room where you can't get online. I mean, you can kind of guess at it, but sometimes it's not even real. If you've got a little bit of a lag, you may think that somebody's, you know, you know, going twicing you all the time, but it's really, they're just, it's taking you a while to see the bid. Um, I, I think you need, you know, I, 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 I think it goes faster online for the most part. I mean, I, you've seen me be an auctioneer before. I tend to run a pretty fast auction, but I think online auctions typically are faster. Uh, it's just, it's relentless. It's bam, it's bam, it's bam. It's just, it's just going a finite amount of time and it's, you, you better be ready. Uh, so I think there's a little bit more give in person. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. It's like the difference between playing poker online versus in person. The bluffing, you're looking at somebody, you're picking up tells. I mean, I, I look at Jeff Zimmerman. I can tell when he's going to bid. You can see Derek Cardi go, oh, oh, I lost that guy. He gets visually uh, frustrated. Uh, you can see guy clicking pens. You know, you, you, you can pick up tells from, from players when you're in person. And, of course, you, you won't miss any bids. A lot of times, especially late in the auction, I mean, it's happened to us, uh, one player uh, in an auction that Ruben and I did online the other, the other day, that, you know, you're busy doing, and all of a sudden a guy goes goes out, nobody bids on him, and so the clock runs out really quick, and like, oh, my goodness, did I just miss that person? Because you're looking at your papers, you're looking here. Yep. I would say that a big thing is having a second person is very beneficial online because when you're at your computer screen, you really need two screens. You're looking at your numbers and your strategy, and you're writing down your bids, and yep. you're writing down the other bids. But then you have to look at the actual auction taking place. Who's bidding what? It does. They don't scream it out loud. It doesn't. It doesn't say audio. This guy bid eighteen. This guy bid nineteen. Right. You you have to actually look at it and press the button. So you have to be in two places at one time. If you have two people, that's a huge advantage. So I think that the benefit of a second person is more online. Anything to add, Ruben? Yeah, also the entertainment value. If you've never done a live auction, just do one at least. You have to get the feel for it. It's nothing, nothing at all like an online auction. When you're live, you get to see the person. You can see where they're sitting, if they're looking at you, if you're looking at them. If they come in wearing a certain baseball jersey, maybe that's a tell. Sometimes, uh, you know, there's some people that wear only, I'm not going to say who this is, but they only wear Robinson Cano jerseys or they only wear um, St. Louis Cardinals jerseys, something like that. You have a better idea of who they're going to bid on just on the way they look. You can't do that on the computer. There's there's no way you can do that. Um, you can also get a feel for the room better, just in general when things are slowing down, when people are starting to get tired. Also, it's a matter of doing it when you're doing the auction. A lot of the online auctions are usually in the afternoon, evening. Me and you, Ira, we used to do, we used to do the auction, the NFPC, NFPC auction in the morning, 9 a.m. 9 a.m. is a great time. Half people are half asleep. You can get an idea of who's who's it. actually with it, who's not with it, and it gives you so much more an advantage just because you can see how other people are either to your advantage, uh, playing against you for your advantage or against you. By the way, for the record, Jeff, I wasn't one of the ones who recommended to switch Tout Wars head to head to the morning. I, that just happened on its own, by the way, for me. Well, I'm on the Tout Wars committee, and part of it is just trying to get out of town on on Sunday, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Sunday yeah. evening. Um, so that's that's why we did it. We're staggering at one hour apart from the NL one, so that way we can make sure they both get off smoothly. Uh, but uh, yeah. It, I you know I do Tout Wars AL and it's a morning auction. I'm I'm flying in from the West Coast on Friday and doing a 9 a.m. Uh, Saturday morning auction on East Coast time. So, but yet I love it. I love being starting off the day like that. It's it's one of my favorite things. Yeah, and by the way, the time of day to me makes a big difference. I've noticed that the afternoon evening auctions are so much hotter than the morning ones. So. Yep. Yeah, so and the bids go so much more. And, of course, if you know how to play an auction here, when it's a hot auction, it means you're going to find more value in the middle if you be patient and scoop up those middle values because everybody's going $6, $7 over at the top. Just wait. You'll scoop up the middle. The opposite, in a cold auction, so in the morning that happens more, if you don't actually bid high and get those guys at $1, $2 over value, you're going to end up with – uh, you're going to miss out on this guy in the middle, miss out on this guy in the middle, and you're going to end up having too much money, and you're going to get mediocre players. So you got to push the money earlier. The, the right. time of day makes a huge difference. Well, yeah, and and who you're playing with too. I mean, 
a lot in, uh, keep going to Tout Wars as our example. AL Tout Wars is a very mature league, and there's usually eight or nine repeating players in that league, if not more. And we're all we've all done auctions before. So the my point is sometimes your pocket of bargains is the top tier of players, or maybe the second tier of players, rather than the middle. Maybe you've got if you've got three people saving hoarding their money. Guess what? They're going to be bidding like crazy. Those those those. The guys that they think they're getting in a, they're going to get twelve dollar players that are really worth fifteen. They're going to end up spending seventeen sometimes on those players, and because they're, they're competing with each other, you really have to monitor the room on that one there. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you a follow up on that. How much do other players' tendencies affect your auction strategies? Because I mean, if you know that there's uh, in this in this particular draft, there's four players who like middle middle uh, as opposed to a different uh, auction where you know that oh it's really hot. Does that affect the way that you prepare? in terms of, you know, what you're going to plan to buy? I, normally, I would say no, Ariel, but Doug Dennis is in my dome right now uh, because he has a different plan. It's not his, it's not the style that gets me. It's the fact that he has run an effective plan two years running and, and three years running, really. He's won the last two AL Towers by punting starting pitching. And, you know, it's like, how do I counteract that without torpedoing my own team? Do I, you know, you know that, that there's a really fine line, and I think a lot of people are going to be thinking about that. And yes, the, so knowing your knowing your pool matters, knowing what people like. You know, I, other, another example is the great Lenny Melnick has always been guy that's never going to bid on closers. He's never going to spend money on closers. You know that going in. So and he'll usually nominate them too. So you don't need to nominate a closer. He'll do it for you. So and you know that you're going to get that closer for maybe a dollar or two less then market because there's just 20 30 dollars being less being spent on closers because he's not going to be the guy spending on them yeah now sometimes you know the tendencies of the audience but sometimes you don't do you find mm -hmm. yourself ever scouting players maybe seeing what they've done elsewhere talking to them getting tells researching their work like how much does scouting actually play into your hand here honestly not not much <laughs> um it's probably if you have bandwidth to do that and you trust your reads and they're accurate well great but i think you're i think you're spending a lot of time on that with uh, very little return in many cases absent extraordinary circumstances um i think there are certain you know if you're in a long-standing league with people and you can kind of read them better maybe that's great if they someone's had a really good track record of success yeah you better pay attention to what they're doing how does larry Schechter do it again how did ron chandler do it again with the lima plan by god i better know what to do with those um yeah but if it's just if it's a if there's no history in the league then i'm probably not going to spend a whole lot of time scouting my opposition but it does pay but it does pay to see who's in the league because you may oh, recognize yeah. a name and and it, and sometimes it happens that you see someone that you do know and it, and that and that helps that's great but i mean you should should have an idea if you say oh wait that name looks familiar for me to me look it up so, you know it doesn't hurt to do 2 minutes of research on them if anything right. it gives you some background so you have an idea of what you're getting yourself into and it's easier to do now than ever because of twitter i mean you can just go on or, you know and go to their article or especially if we're in you know, I, I home and I'm using the fantasy community as the example, and that's not as always readily apparent when you're playing in an NFBC auction or you're playing in your home league. Obviously, they don't have published material out there with players that you like and dislike or reasons why you don't like a certain player, things of that nature. I mean, but you we have the burden and it's an honor, really, it's uh, of being an open book. I mean, people, you know, we know what we like. We're trying to help people do well in leagues. We better not be holding back. It's our job to try to explain who we like and who we dislike and, and why. If we're holding back, that means we're, we're denying our best work for our customers, so we can't do that. How important is it to look around at the players when you're at a live auction table? Because I've been to auctions, and I've seen some people, and they look at their numbers, and they're looking, and they're looking, and they don't look up. They don't really care. They, they, they're, they're just doing their own thing. And then I see some players... Uh, who all they're doing is looking around and seeing and working the room. Uh, like Tim McLeod, I, I know when I was at the XFL two years ago, I noticed, and I'm like, Tim McLeod is looking the whole, whole time. Well, where are you on that? And, uh, you know, what do you, how important do you think it is to at least gauge uh, at some point what the room feels like? I mean, XFL, we're not allowed to have a laptop in front of us, so you better be looking the room. Better be working the room, right? What else are you going to look at? You don't have numbers. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think 
I, I, I think it's, this is a social game. I mean, I want to be able to engage with my competitors. I want to kind of get an eye. Um, again, you're a poker player. You, you've proven that. You play the player sometimes and not the, not the cards. So uh, I, I think you, that's, it's really important. It's, it's one of the many skills. Obviously, you sometimes have to look at your materials. You can't always be locking in, you know, making eye contact there. But it helps, like everything else. Yep. And you mentioned about you mentioned about using a computer by writing by hand. Some people are using a computer. Some people have a one person team, two person team. Just getting an idea of who's who has a better control of what they're doing. Sometimes the auction yes, it goes slower than a, than a than a than a uh, snake draft, but it does speed up toward the end. And when it speeds up, sometimes writing by hand or using the computer or having a one or two team uh, uh, team can make the big difference. And just knowing who's who has what is a big difference. Sure. I'm always amazed when I go to to see Tout Wars and, and Labor. Jeff Zimmerman, I always take him to be this computer guy, and he comes to the auction with his giant cardboard of listing yep. every single. I, I just find that amazing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, I, I, I've seen a lot of times. Some people are, uh, you know, they're, you know, he he writes the process. Sometimes part of his process is, you know, the writing it out of it is what gets you prepared, right? Um, as opposed to just relying, I can find it. He's actually found it already. He's, he's marked it down. Yeah, well, that's true. Jeff, what are the three most important things that one should keep track of during an auction? Um, I, I didn't break it down one to three, but, you know, obviously, I think just the first thing is tracking what you have. You know, do you have balance? Do you have a certain category? Is there anything that you're – do you have – do you have a weakness in your roster construction? Second, obviously, is managing your money and knowing, like, okay, what do I have to spend? And the third is trying to get an idea how that compares to everybody else. Moving. I'm going to say money, money, and money. Money, the money the, you, you came into the draft that you allocated for certain spots that you may have to move around during the course of the draft. Money you have left that you have to make sure to spend wisely so you don't overspend and, and be locked out of a certain player that you want. And money that other people have left. Do you want the hammer at the end of the draft? Do you want to be able to outbid somebody? Is this person looking for a certain position and you have more money than them so you're going to get that certain player? So I think money is the key. Yeah, I mean, category balance, obviously, you, you need to. Uh, you know, it's up there. And, uh, like, you know, what closers are remaining, you know, who the options available, very important. The three things I would say, number one, um, you need to be aware of your money plan and who are the best options at each position. Okay, I I have a $5 outfielder spot. Who are my three top outfielders? So who I got to nominate first to get them or who I have to look out for? What catchers are, are up for me in where I think I'm going to play? You have to know what your top options are at the dollar amounts you plan to play at at the positions that you want to. It's number one. Number two is auction temperature. You have to know and you have to keep track of, is it hot? Is it cold? Are players really going over and I can be patient? Or, no, no, this is where to strike. You got to be aware of, this is my strike time. Here we go. We got to do it now. Timing is very important. And who to nominate? Always have my next nomination is this, or I got to nominate this guy or this guy. You have to have it important. I mean, in a snake draft, you always come up with, all right, I'm probably picking this guy next. Do that in an auction. Decide who is my top choice to nominate and have that ready to go. Yeah, I like having a running list too. And you have to have different motivations for your nomination. I'm glad you brought the nominations up because I think it's I, – I, some people – this is where you can find some tendencies. Larry Schechter almost always nominates players he's interested in, for instance. Uh, brilliant auctioneer, brilliant player, but he, you can tell when he wants a guy. Um, that part is that, – that is one thing you can tell. Others will always bring up a guy they you know early on. They will always bring up a guy they don't want. Sometimes I like to bring up an endgame guy early just to throw people off the scent. Sometimes I like to kind of deplete a category or deplete a position, even if I've, I've already gotten it. Or maybe just sometimes it's a, I want to an, – another motivation I'll have is I'll throw out a closer just to test the market rate on closers to find out. Maybe I get that closer, maybe not, but at least I want to have an idea of what the market is. Yeah, the nomination strategy, let's talk about it now a little bit more, is it's very important. Um, yep. You know, Magnus Carlsen, who's the best chess player in the world, will tell you that really the most important rule is that every move should have a purpose. Just don't like, nah, move up a pawn, right? Decide that, okay, I'm going to defend. 
Okay, I'm going to attack a piece. Oh, I'm going to improve the position. And you see the benefits of each, and of course, it's a priority list. Well, I have to defend this piece first before I attack another. I, I don't have to improve this piece. I have something else more pressing. So it's decide the purposes of a couple of different options and then pick the one that's the highest priority. And to me, nominations are that. There are some t times where you have to have information about a player where I, it just my strategy con is contingent on it. I got to know if I'm going to get this guy at a reasonable value. Otherwise, I got to pivot. If you got to get that information out, you probably have to nominate them earlier than you should. You can't wait for it to come out because the, it, your plan pivots on it. So that's a place where you want to. What if you've spent a couple of high you – know, you got a couple of high corners to start the draft? Well, you're going to have too much money. You don't need corners. You want to prioritize possibly, well, let's throw out a, another third baseman because I can't use him. I'm not going to spend the money. I want to get more towards the even pack. I'm, like, I've, I'm under on the money. I want to go back to the pack. How much does that factor in? Oh, is do I want to test the closer market, as you said, Jeff? How important is that to do now? Well, there's two positions to fill. I need catcher and second base left. Which one's the bigger priority? Well, which one can I – do I have more options do I have fewer options? Nominate that first, right? Whatever it is, I'm telling you, and there's no one strategy, right? It's not just nominate everybody you don't like. Have a purpose for everything. There's going to be yes. defensive and offensive moves and decide the priority on everything. But you have to be careful with who you nominate because if you're nominating something that you do want to get the feel of how much that position or that area is going to go for, don't nominate it in a hot room. Because if you nominate in a hot room, no matter what, that player is going to go for more than he normally should. So you have to get a feel for the room when you are nominating the player. Otherwise, the plan may backfire. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, I think there's another situation you should be aware of, too, is, you know, first of all, not everything goes according to our plan. We'd like it to, but there are things that throw us off. Sometimes you get in a situation where there's a limited number of a quantity that you need. Let's just say it's a middle infielder that's like a $10 middle infielder. There's three of them left, and there's four people with money to spend on it there. I think instead of trying to wait out your competition, sometimes it's good to rip off the Band-Aid and nominate one of those players right away. Maybe there, maybe the, your competition wants player C instead of player B or A, even though they're like maybe with a dollar uh, within a dollar's worth of your projections of each other. Sometimes you just take player A uh, and get them at the reasonable price, the plus one that Ariel's talking about in a hot zone, as opposed to waiting it out and then getting stuck having to overbid on that last remaining one. Yeah, it, I call it the plan A, plan B. I mean, it just came up uh, last week. Uh, you know, we had Salvador Perez, and we've mentioned that Salvador Perez is a bargain. We also like Wilson Contreras. Those are, you know, perceived bargains. Maybe we like Salvador Perez a little bit more, a little bit bigger bargain, right? So our plan A is Salvador Perez. Our plan B is Contreras. We did not nominate Perez fast enough. And Contreras came out. And then he came up to the value. Maybe he was going at what we would pay, but then he went one over. And our question is, ah, do I pull the trigger on him? I don't know if Sal Perez is going to be as good a bargain as we think. We just don't know. If Perez came out first, then we would know, okay, well, we either like the bargain or don't. If not, there's a backup plan. But you don't know unless the order comes out. So very, very often I'll agree with Larry Schechter that you want a guy, you nominate him because that information is probably worth more than you think. All right, so let's uh, talk about market values. And I think uh, it's very important before you have a draft, an auction to prep. Well, you're gonna have your you're gonna have your own values, your own constructed. You're gonna take uh, a projection system and you know use an auction calculator, and it's going to tell you a list of values. Or you're gonna make them up yourself. You're gonna say, I think he's a fifteen dollar player. I think he's a twenty dollar player. Whatever method is fine. It's your game. You make your own players that you're comfortable with. But I think it's very important to get a sense of how the market will behave. How, Jeff, how do you construct market values or how do you know what you think the opponents are going to bid so that you can really base a plan and gauge what's a bargain or not? It's a good question because I think sometimes you can fool yourself into thinking certain things can happen. I, I, I mean, you, you want to look at previous auction results if you can, uh, especially in like, play and tout but you can view the labor results for instance and if there are some people that are in both leagues all the better uh you know you, you look at that and you can get an idea of like okay well 
the, these top aces went for that. This guy's still in my league, and he got one of them. Okay, great. Uh, other times, I mean, you, you're kind of you're really relying on people having like being like minded, and that's usually not accurate. Usually, there are some variances there. Yeah, you'll never get a perfect read on the market. You can only assess what you think on average it goes for. Uh, ecosystems like the NFBC, it's a lot easier because they publish these fantastic ADP. I mean, they've got hundreds of drafts going on, and that creates just a very robust set of, of values. Um, now, if you're playing in an auction, you want to use auction values, or it's the auction show. If you have a set of AAVs, if you're playing in the NFBC and you have it, or if you're playing on RT Sports and you have a set of AAVs, those are the best sources. Yes, you're yep. going to have players who differ all the time. Sure. If you know the tendencies of a specific player, absolutely it's going to differ. Uh, but if you don't have that, I find myself taking the ADP and I match it to a curve. Like Take the auction results from last year. If you've, you're in a home league and you had an auction, just rank the numbers like the the top pick was $47 the next pick was 45 the next 46 and just literally match it up with the ADP and that'll right away give you a dollar number that you can use as oh here's a market value i can consider i like that approach and then you take that number and you compare it to the numbers that you have in your own air in your own valuation and then you can find the hot spots where you want to play in that in, in which which areas you want to play because the hot spots they're going to be i mean the very high up the, the players are going for overvalue according to the ADP they're doing what they're supposed to but according to your evaluation they may be too too expensive so you don't want to get into that so you'll able pre-draft you'll be at pre-auction you'll be able to find which areas you want to be able to work in based on the ADP and your evaluation and then the, the temperature of the room so just to elaborate a little bit more on what I was saying with with the you know curve and constructing it uh, this year I was very honored and fortunate to proxy for Tim Cloud in the XFL right and you know this is before projections are published, including my own. Um, you're not even allowed to bring values into add to the table. It's preseason. Who knows what's going to go on before free agents sign. It's hard to assess value. So when I was preparing, I had conversations with Tim as to who do you like, who not. My big prep that I did was market, market, market. And I took a look at what ADP looked like, and I constructed – from previous years, what the remaining inflated keeper inflated numbers would be like. I, I spent time saying, okay, well, on average, this many keepers were kept, and it was kept at these prices. And what are the remaining values? And I took that, and I sorted it, and I said, okay, well, the top one's going to go for about this, and the next one's going to go for about this. So when it came to the players that I thought I had a chance on, I said, you know what? You know, I think this guy is worth at least $20. You know, my ADP says it's going to go for 12. I think I'm going to get him. And I found a couple of guys like that. And sure enough, I was able to buy them because I did the prep in knowing, are they going to be fine for the market? Matching up curves in old auctions, very, very powerful tool. Uh, another question, it's not just about your own values. If you value a guy and you have him worth 15, okay, the question is you have to set up what's called the strike price. When do you say, I'm going to pull the trigger? Do you say, well, if it's 15 then my strike price is 13 or lower, I need a $2 discount? What if you're at the $30 level and there's a player worth 35 Do you say, well, my strike price is going to be too over because it's at the top of the curve? Like, how do you decide, based on your value, Jeff, what what is your bid, the maximum bid you'll go to? I think it's just about whether I, I, I specifically want that player or – more importantly, I want that that quantity. You know, do I want the 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 high average power guy, or do I want the power speed combo guy? Do I want to? Is that the guy I'm willing to break my uh, price level a little bit on? I think that that's that's how I kind of determine it a little bit. There, I have a list of targets usually when I uh, the certain players I'd like to get that fit my build. Because even though it's you know you know in a, you talked about doing a snake draft and having a build. There's still a build in an auction, too, and there's a certain way you want to construct your team, um, and certain players fit that better than others. Okay, so you're putting sort of a premium on players that fit your build more. So whether you come up with an auction number that says 20 or 22, if it's a guy that matters more, you're going to add two or three, and that's how you sort of tangentially get your strike price, is that what you're saying? Yes. Right, okay, it makes sense. Anything but I, different, Ruben? But I th 
Yeah, I, th I think it differs room to room because where your strike price is for a certain player, let's say you want a middle infielder at a certain price and you only go with certain and you want to get stolen bases out of it. If you see that stolen bases are going higher or hotter in that draft, you may have to adjust your strike price during the actual auction because otherwise you'll be locked out of that player or that, that, st that stat that you want. So yes, you can have a strike price going into this draft, going into the auction, but sometimes it has to change on the fly based on the auction itself. Yeah, no doubt. I agree with both of you. Jeff, what do you consider for a hitter-pitcher split? A lot of people ask, well, what's the right hitter-pitcher split? Do you have a certain way you do it? Obviously, it's going to differ from mono league to mixed league, but do you come with a set number? Uh, it differs in every draft I do. And sometimes it, it differs in, you know, it differs in auction versus at the start of the auction sometimes. Uh, I will tell you that my my ratio will be higher in Tout Wars this year in favor of hitters than it was in previous years. Um, that is an adjustment. Um, I'm, it's no shock here. I mean, we, we've all seen what Doug Dennis has done in that league, um, and we have to adjust accordingly. And I think, you know, I, I just don't want to be in a situation where I'm just short of bats. Uh, I just think that's one of those things I'm going to change. But it, in my home league, it's different. And, you know, in, in, in L, it might be different. It might just be the player. Sometimes it's player pool driven. Wow, that pesky Doug, Doug Dennis, he's such a powerful guy, literally changing the market on his, uh, on his methods. It's, um, it's unbelievable, right? Yeah, absolutely. Smart guy. Go yeah. figure. Smart guy in our community. Oh, absolutely. So I, I don't worry too much about what my hitter pitcher split will be for the total dollars I'm going to buy because I'm buying guys on bargains, and sometimes there could be more pitcher bargains, and sometimes there could be more hitter bargains, and I might determine when I'm doing my plan as to, you know what, it looks like there's going to be better hitter bargains at this level and pitcher bargains at this level, and when I fumble around and say what well, adds up to 260, it could go either way. I'm more concerned about optics as far as my value sheet, and you always want to make sure that whatever, as best you can, your numbers correspond to, meaning like when you list out uh, Acuna is worth 50 and uh, Tatis is worth uh, 37 and Judge is worth 36, whatever it is, you want to make sure that that hitter-pitcher split is going to mimic the auction. So in the NFBC, when they're much more pitcher-centric than your home league and the split is 62-38, you want to make sure that your numbers add up to 62.38, or maybe just at 1% more if maybe you're more you're better at picking pitchers, so, okay, put a little bit more into the hitters, but in general, you want to keep it as close as you can to that. Now, you can buy 70%, 30%, but the optics of what appears on your paper, I think, is more important to make sure it's going to mimic the room, and you don't know for sure what it's going to be, but you can guess from prior history, from the type of auction, best you can. And I also think you can also look at what you did in past years. Like if you look at last year and you and you were very successful, what was your hitter pitcher break that time? It, you can learn from that. If it wasn't successful last year, what did you do wrong? Where did you spend too much money? Where did you spend not enough money? Because the numbers aren't going to change that drastically that you can still learn something from last year and apply it to this year. Uh, let's talk stars and scrubs versus spread the risk. Uh, everyone asked this question, should you go stars and scrubs? Should you go spread the risk? Maybe I do spread the risk for hitters and stars and scrubs for pitchers. W where are you, Jeff, on that whole discussion? I think you should try each plan at least once in your life. I think you should do a stars and scrubs at one point in time and know who your scrubs are going to be. I think the thinner the league the more, uh, the more likely I am to do a, a, a stars and scrubs. A 12-team mixed league auction absolutely go stars and scrubs go crazy have fun with it uh, uh 12 team ale only league mono league Ooh, okay now now you're really talking about consequences here but i'm also i do a golf auction every year guys and it's i, I i've done it both where it used to be really paid to be stars and scrubs as the player pool has improved and there are more and more good golfers out there it's been one of those things where it's paid off to balance the risk a little bit more I think you, you really should know what those skills, you know, try each at least once and have a better, have an idea what you're better at. I really like that. I really like that. Ruven, what are your tendencies? 
Um, I think that I just mentioned exactly what Jeff said. If it's a 10-team league, Stars and Scrubs can work. We, I know me and you, Ira, we've tried it. It does work. It can work. But when you get to a 15-team league or 12-15, if you do Stars and Scrubs, one injury for your team or two injuries could be catastrophic. Then you're going to be playing the waiver wire for the entire season, and there's almost no chance of catching up. So if you spread the risk in a deeper league, you have a better chance of, pro, of, pro, of lasting longer in the, in the money categories if you're able to do that. Yeah, in the deeper the league, in especially in mono leagues, you don't want to end up with a lot of $1 players because it's about playing time, it's about playing time, and about playing time. And the $1 players don't get the playing time. Even the $7 players, $6 players do. So you want to try to avoid that kind of thing. Look, I go into every single auction, and I, I don't have a tendency one way or the other. I'm prepared to do both. I know myself my tendency is more spread the risk, so I have a strong intuition that it's going to go that way. But I'm prepared to do either. And again, take the auction temperature. If it's cold, you got to play more Stars and Scrubs. If it's so hot, you're going to find so much value with Spread the Risk. So I, I think the answer is be prepared to do both. Um, do you ever try, Jeff, do you ever try unconventional strategies? Uh, I mean, Doug Dennis did, obviously, and it was successful. Do you ever try, I'm going to punt saves. I'm going to punt steals. Do you ever intentionally try to do that? I sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. I won the 18 team Rotowire Staff Keeper League last year, finishing last in stolen bases. I didn't try to do it necessarily. In fact, I tried to trade. I traded for Starling Marte at, uh, in our league uh, midseason. He played all of like one game for me before getting hurt. So that was fun. Uh, so at that point, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to steer into this. Fortunately, my other hitting categories were strong. Um, yeah, I, I think punting categories, uh, you know, find. You know, sometimes, you know, focusing on certain teams' rotations or avoiding others, you know, all these things kind of kind of are fun to do, kind of, yeah, absolutely, you should try them. I don't often go the way, that route, I don't do the unconventional strategy that often. I think maybe I should do it more often. Well, I've never tried to do that intentionally, and yes, sometimes you realize, oh, crap, well, at this point, I better punt. It's funny, Ruven and I did an auction the other day, and... We just ended up not getting the bargains on steals and sort of unintentionally punted steals. And I was listening to your show with Fred Zinke the other day, the Rotowire podcast, and I'm actually happy to hear that if you're going to punt, it might as well be steals because steals are more available on the waiver wire. Power, not really, and I'm glad that I just said like, just pound power, pound power. Even our subs, we didn't make we didn't even make an attempt to well, let's just get a bunch of guys who could steal. We just said get those power guys. So I'm really happy to hear that uh, Fred Zinke came up with that. Fred's a smart human, that's for sure. Yes. Well, two two years ago in TGFBI, I decided to do pocket aces. I've never done that before. I wanted to see just how it works. It can work, you know. You could, you if you try something in a in a free league. Try a, instead of paying money and losing money on it. Try it in a free league. Try something you've never done before. And if you do it that way, you can see how it plays out during the auction, how it plays out during the course of the year, and if it fits your if it fits way the way you're able to play. If you're able to handle it, then great, you could do it. But otherwise, you have to try everything at least once before you can knock it. Right. And I'd say one other uh, addendum to this: if you're trying something unconventional. Identify who the pivotal players are in your strategy. Uh, identify if you're going stars and scrubs, know which scrubs and which positions you're going to go to get those after. Like maybe you're in a one catcher league instead of a two catcher league. By all means, you know, go with a one dollar catcher in a league like that. Uh, but no, but identify those targets too. Identify like, okay, if I'm going to do a elite, you know, I'm going to. I, say for instance, I'm gonna go punt batting average in this league. I'm gonna go with a bunch of high high power and you know some power speed guys, or just I'm gonna focus on those. I need to know which of those guys I really need to get. Who are the ones that the league is gonna discount because they hit for low average? You know, if you're gonna go that route, really identify who are the pivotal players to that strategy. Absolutely. Let's talk about money management. Do you make it a point, Jeff? to pace yourself during the auction do you are you conscious okay i'm spending too much money oh no i, I have i have too much money how, how, how does that come up in terms of what you look for in the auction it still happens to me even now that i sometimes overspend early on i get caught up in the moment i find too many bargains early without realizing that may, maybe they're not bargains especially like oh this whole room is discounting starting pitching but i got jose urquidy at this such a great price wasn't a great price you know it happens uh so yes uh you should 
you know, take a breath every once in a while. Absolutely. I mean, I guess that kind of runs counter to my other strategy is that I'm involved in every player. I guess that sometimes is it may be more difficult to take that that bird's eye view uh, if, if you're really involved all the time. Maybe I should step back every once in a while. So I think in general, yes, you should pace yourself because the economics tell you that you want to, as most as you can, have the same purchasing power as anyone else. If you have too much money, you're going to have a different purchasing power than everybody else, and you could overspend. If you don't have enough money, you're going to miss some good bargains when they come up because you just can't afford it. So everything all equal, everything else being equal, yes. But the question you should ask yourself rather than just pace yourself at the auction is to say, okay, if I go for this guy now and it's X bargain now, the question is, will I get that bargain later? Or is it this is the best I can do, right? I don't think you have to pace yourself. I think you have to ask the question, is this the best bargain I can get, right? right. Oh, this guy is a $3 bargain. Yeah, but could I have gotten a $7 bargain? We we bought Jose Abreu at the auction this past week, and we did it. We call it the Joey Votto nomination where Jose Abreu, I have him worth $9. So I'll gladly take him for a buck, but I, I'd rather somebody else get him for 4 because I don't really want him exactly, and I don't want a guy having an $8 bargain, so let's just throw him out earlier. And we threw him out for a dollar, crickets, we win him. Well, at that point, an $8 bargain, what $1 player are you going to get a better bargain than $8? I'm totally cool with that. So that was like a good, okay, let's spend the money here. But So that it, it's the question you need to ask yourself all the time. Moving. Yeah, and, and budgeting yourself and making sure you don't overspend early doesn't mean you shouldn't spend at all. That's the main thing. Just because you have to pace yourself doesn't mean you shouldn't spend the money that you think are bargains. And that's exactly what you're saying. If it's a $1 you want to do or if it's a $20 player that you think is worth 25 and you're getting from 20 even though you may be low on money, that's, you know, if, it's, if it fits your plan and it, and it makes sense, then there's no reason not to do it, number one. Number two, most auctions have a break. They're usually one or two breaks. You can reassess what you need to do, reassess the money, and that that's where you can really pace yourself. You can say, you know what? I, it's, I have too much money left. I got to start spending now. Otherwise, I'm going to have money left on the table. Or I have too much money or I spent too much money. I have, to, I have to slow myself down. So you can use those breaks to your advantage and just take an idea of the, take a picture of the room and see how much money does everyone else have? How much money do they have to spend? What are they looking for? And you can pace yourself that way. By the way, I find that when you come back from a break, people are somewhat gun-shy, and you can get some good bargains right away. Uh, I remember we did the NFBC auction last year, Ruvain, and we're like, okay, there's a couple of guys here. Let's throw out a guy we want. I think we're going to get the bargain we want. And we, I think we bought three players in a row coming right out of the break. Uh, that's just, yeah, a, just a quick tip that I think. Did you notice that, Jeff? Have you seen that? Oh, 100%. I think it's absolutely true. First, first couple of players. Sometimes even the first very first couple of players in the auction too, the overall auction. But absolutely coming back from a break. Some people are settling in. They're 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 checking their email that they haven't checked and all that. Okay, we're back going here. You know, and they oh, what just happened? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If anytime there's a change, people get thrown off. You know, I often say that I hypnotize people in the auction, but if, if you subtly know how to create a diversion in the room in a nice way, not, you know, but get people minds off things and maybe there's a change in the room, a, a, a well-timed joke, it sort of creates a disruption and you can get a bargain on your next pick. Believe it or not, that actually works. Um, question, in, in drafts, let's talk about in draft adjustments. Jeff, what are the in-draft adjustments that you find yourself making the most? Uh, it's tracking the scarcities, like tracking how many closers that you like are left, or tracking how many, you know, tracking your dollars, tracking certain quantities. Uh, in a keeper auction, tracking the inflation. Is it really what you thought anticipated? Um, is there inflation among certain categories? Uh, knowing that is really important. Do you track – forget about keeper, but for regular redraft, do you track in-draft inflation? I know some people say it exists and some people track it, and some people like me. I, I don't track it because I, I know the feel of the room. Do, do you track it? I do not. Okay. Right. Same here. But sometimes, but but sometimes it just you could see it happen. You can see Steel's guy going for two, three dollars more. You can see. I I know. I'm, oh, I, I agree actually can, with that. You know, you yeah. can see closers. The top three closers are going for three, four dollars more. So you can track inflation. I think for certain statistics, but positions, I don't think it's 
that easy to do. I think statistics can be tracked for inflation. All right, so let's talk bidding. Uh, what is your general procedure that you bid on, <laughs> Jeff? Oh, well, uh, I will. Early in auctions, I like to accelerate it. I like to get it up higher to where it's going to be. Nothing drives me battier than, oh, Ronald Acuna, one, two, three. No, get it to where it's going to go. Come on. <laughs> um, you know, so I'll do that. I'll jump bid frequently early on. Um, you got to be careful about slowing down mid-auction, you know, making sure that when you're jump bidding, you, it's not a disaster if you're stuck with the player. Um, but I tend to be off, uh, you know, sometimes, I'll, you know, I, I won't always go fast, but I sometimes I will go fast, but... I think you need to vary your cadence. I think all, you know, vary everything. Vary your nominations, vary your cadence, vary your bidding style. Try try to throw people off the scent. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you've seen me in auctions. I, I vary the, the pitch of my voice. Number two, three. Yep. I, totally. You want to just throw people off. And the more things you do differently, the less they can track. I don't want them knowing what I want, thinking what I want. Um, you definitely don't. I was going to ask you, like, what is your what is your uh, your opening bid? My answer for the opening bid is I don't I don't do random. I pick the same number, right? Twenty, 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 just to make it monotonous. That all right? Well, I guess Ariel just bidding twenty because he always says twenty. I can't tell anything about whether he wants the player or not. Seventeen here. It's always seventeen. 17. It's Perfect. a prime number. I like it. I don't know. It just it, and it just has a nice ring to it. And then when you get in a bidding war with somebody, if you jump by two at a certain point, sometimes that'll stop the person. Like let's say you want it, you're willing to spend eighteen dollars on a player, and the and the, and the that's fifteen. And next person goes sixteen. If you jump to eighteen or nineteen, they're not always willing to go that extra dollar and say twenty because they don't may not think that the player is worth twenty. So sometimes the two dollar jump, especially going from like the teens to twenties or twenties to thirties, can make a difference. Yeah, the key number is a really important fact, Ruvain. Uh, absolutely, twenty, thirty. Both of those are big, you know, going, you know, if it's at 25 and you go to 29, that might stymie it. Or if you just go to that number, if you go, Hey, I'm going to 30, I'm not afraid of 30. They may, they may, they may stop them in their tracks too. So on the, on the jump $2 bids, I, I have a very interesting take here that, um, I, I found that it works like half the time. Like sometimes you, you jump at two and sometimes everyone just, well, I don't want to go any further cause you've jumped at two and sometimes, well, they go over anyways, but either way, I feel good about myself because if, if let's say you, you go two over and the guy beats you, you say to yourself, well, thank God I jumped at two. If I would have jumped at one, then that guy would have gone just one over. I, exactly. I just got one dollar out. But let's say you win it. Well, then you say, great. Look at me. I, I, I did it right. I jumped at two. I got him. So either way, you feel good about yourself, you know, and, and even better. Sometimes you want him to be atop you after that. And you're just accelerating that process. Right, 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 right. Um, now, you touched on it earlier that you bid often on players, and I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I don't see why people are quiet for, for so often. I, I often see players in an auction where they only bid on a few, and it's pretty obvious that, that, that what they want to bid. Uh, can you just elaborate on, on the frequency of, of, of bidding? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just if you're involved in every player, how can they tell which player you want? I mean, I think that that's one thing. But also, you just get a feel for for the room. Uh, if you're, I mean, if, if your heads up, you're bidding on a player, you're noticing who's involved in the bidding. Guess what? You can also, if you have a good memory for that thing or our ability to take notes and see, okay, I was bidding against Glenn on this one here. Well, I can always come back to Glenn in, you know, in, a, in a trade league too about that. So it's useful information to do that. So that's another reason to be involved. I, and most importantly, again, auctions are fun. Be involved in them, play in them. It, 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 and the best way to do that is just be active in them. I mean, it, maybe it's your style to be quiet in the background. Maybe you're intimidated because, you know, R.L. Cohen's over there, you know, shouting sometimes and then talking quietly other times. And that's intimidating. <laughs> maybe that's your, and then maybe you want to stay back a little bit. And that's fine. Uh, but I like just being in the mix, cracking jokes, you know, bidding a lot more. I just, it's, it's, I think it's the spirit of the thing. Oh, uh, totally, totally. We may want to ask you about timing. When, should you time your bids? Should you, should you immediately jump when a bid is out? Should you wait until it says going once, going twice? And of course, this question is sort of twofold because we're talking live in person, but also online. What are your thoughts? Well, when it's live in person, I don't like waiting to go when it's going twice. I like to have people know that I am on for this person. So I don't I don't wait for that because 
I don't want there to be any controversy whatsoever saying that, oh, you didn't get in, oh, you didn't get in. I, I, it's This is supposed to be fun. I, I have a number that I want to go to. I'm going to go to it, and I don't wait for the goal ones going twice. The top players, um, you know, they will they will get there. Sometimes I'll wait until the bidding goes 30, 31, 32, 35, and then I'll, I'll, then I'll chime in at the very end. But the lower, lower, lower guys, if you don't chime in early, you may end up losing. Jeff? You got to be careful on online auctions about waiting to plus two. Sometimes you don't get it in on time. And like, hey, I got my bid in. Nope, it's tough, tough breaks. Too bad. Um, and you don't want to know. You know, honestly, you don't really want to annoy the room as being the going twice guy all the time. Um, we we turned one guy in the staff keeper league. We turned his last name into a verb because he was known for doing that uh, all the time. And you know, it was all in good fun. But at the same time, yeah, it's annoying when this you get. You get that all the time, and it extends it out. I mean, it's just like if you want the guy, go go bid on him. Um, I, I think that you should be bidding immediately. Uh, I think one key component, uh, and it works both online and in person, is I want less time for others to think. If I know my numbers and I know where I want to go, why do I want to give somebody else a chance to think? I want somebody not to think. So if you bid quickly, and even if you get up to your price you know, faster, that's fine. You, you bid what you want. But it gives less people to think, and that means less people are involved. I don't want to be in a bidding war with 14 others. I want to be in a bidding war with two or nobody. So, again, I talk about hypnotize. And by the way, when I say hypnotize, I'm not going and going, you will fall asleep, although maybe that would work. Um, but hip hypnotizing in general, hip the definition of hypnosis is intense concentration with losing a sense of where you are. It's where you concentrate on the immediate task, but you get lost in the shovel. And anytime I can have people just concentrate on one thing and lose focus of what I'm doing, that's, that is hypnosis. I want people off the game thinking about what are they going to do next, just throwing away, all right, I'm not going to think about this person, or I do want to think about this person. But I want to I have them have intense concentration about one thing and not really be multitasking. That's really what I, what I want to do with hypnosis. And that's, there's another thing also. When it comes to online auctions, if you nominate a player real quick, sometimes other players are not ready for that. And sometimes you want to nominate the player a little bit slower. You want to wait a little bit. You want to have people t give people time to th think about who you're going to nominate. You can take advantage of the auction like that also. have to ask about price enforcing because some people will say don't price enforce because you can get stuck with him too much and you'll be doing it too often. But, of course, the theory is certainly if you can price enforce, why would I want somebody to get somebody for $10 when I can have the guy get him for 12 What's your take on that, Jeff? Well, I just want to make sure. it would. It's you got to make sure it's not a disaster if you get him. Um, I think otherwise I'm all about it because there are times when you'll get that player and, yeah, it might have been a bargain, but you it, it, it screws you in the end game. You know, in the in the mid to late game, you price and force on it. You know, you have a guy that's worth nine dollars and he's stuck at six. OK, are you stuck at five? You go six. Great. You got a three dollar value. But guess what? You're down to two dollars, two dollar max bid on somebody else or a three dollar max bid later on. And somebody else could pick away, go pick off three three dollar players that you like me time there. And you're like, ah, you know, and I don't really need this guy. We'll call him Jose or again. <laughs> Just call it quote calling him Jose Arquiti. <laughs> well, we had that we had that last year in our NFPC. We we wanted to price and force um, Anthony Rizzo. He was going for a very cheap price. We didn't really want him. We had corners already, but we're like we can't let this go for this value. So we just kept bidding until we ended up getting everything for eight dollars or nine dollars, something like that. And sometimes the price enforcing you will end up with the player. Just make sure that you can handle it in your roster. Otherwise, yeah. it'll screw up the rest of your draft. Yeah, you never want to make a bid that you can't afford, right? You don't want to make a bid that just will screw you up or you can't afford and, oh, that's going to cripple me right now. I can't get the rest of the bargains. But, yeah, in general, if you can, and obviously it's much better to do in person than online because you can see the people. But, I mean, you're playing poker. You, you, you have to suffer some bad beats because there's an end game, right? If, if you don't do your, your price enforcing in poker – you're, you're going to end up missing out on a lot of pots, right? So there has to be some element of the psychology of it. Otherwise, you won't be able to actually get some major bargains later, right? You, you, you need people to artificially spend more money than they're willing to go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in poker, you got to get caught bluffing every once in a while. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well, we've touched on a lot of topics here in uh, – um, 
I mean, is there anything anything else to bring up about auctions in terms of uh, gameplay, strategy, planning? Anything you'd like to add to the discussion, Jeff? Uh, just pay attention to what other people are nominating. Uh, you know, it's not just important what you're nominating. It's it's important if other people display tendencies with their nominations you can kind of anticipate with that maybe you hold off on a certain player because you know they're going to do it for you or you know that okay hey larry larry really likes players he brings up i'll 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 price and force here i won't price and force there oh absolutely that's definitely something to keep track of i mean i remember i was playing tout wars the very first time and i noticed ian khan only brought up players he did not want and that tells you something. Or Jeff Zimmerman, you play with him, and he's throwing out a DH because he wants to clog DH spots. Very important. Oh, have a clogging DH. What about that strategy? Uh, do you think it's a good idea to uh, start with that, uh, and this way people can't utilize their util? You know, I, I think there's some value to that. Uh, I think if you're in an AL-only league, you just – well, I, should, I shouldn't say that anymore. Uh, it used to be in an AL-only league, just fine. I'll stick me with David Ortiz. Make me suffer. Fine. Uh, I've never gone broke rostering David Ortiz, uh, but now that changes with uh, Universal DH. But uh, I would say still matters in an only that you that flexibility matters a lot more uh, in a mixed league. It does matter, but not as much. Uh, I, I think that the, the the player the replacement pool of players is much stronger. Whereas you, in an ale, and it, you've got your utility spot cla- clogged, um, and it's not with a dominant player, then. You, yeah, you really that's suboptimal suboptimal roster management. Yeah, but make sure for the for the clogging the DH, make sure you don't nominate that Byron Buxton for a dollar and you end up with him for a dollar, or don't nominate a DH if you already have a DH because that because you're not that you, to, really. first of all you're not allowed to, but it, it's it's bad etiquette to not know the rules of the league. But I mean, in general, you know, it does help to know what's going on in the room. It helps to have fun during the course of the auction. The whole point of the thing is having fun. Go into the draft, go into the, I'm sorry, go into the auction with two, three, four plans because whatever your original plan is going to be, it's probably not where you're going to end up with. So it makes sure you're able to pivot to plan to plan during the course of the auction. It's funny. We were in the auction the other day and somebody had Shohei Otani. They, they got him. Sure, no problem. And then I see they bid on Byron Buxton, and I'm like, wait a minute, how's that going to work? Because isn't it? Aren't they both DHs? And then I said to myself, oh wait a minute, Otani actually still qualifies as a pitcher in a lot of these formats, even though he's not going to play pitcher this year. But you can actually technically draft him because he played as a pitcher last year, and if you can almost decide, do I want to have an extra hitter or extra pitcher? I tend to do that last year. I got Otani in, in labor, and I said, well, this is great because for my very last pick, I can go either way. That still works this year because he still qualifies. So that's an interesting thing, that, that, and that's specific to an auction, by the way. You won't have that kind of dynamic in the draft. And it's also specific to your league rules on Otani, too, for that sure. matter. You know, whether there's towers, there's the two Otani, so, so you have to be very super careful about that. But, yeah, absolutely. Know, and know your league specs. Always important. Yes, yes. Anything else we're missing, guys? I don't think so. I think we I think we nailed it pretty well. I think, listen, you're, if you haven't done it, do it. Try it. It's worth it. It's worth entertainment value. Just like the, the draft and football leagues are entertainment value, this is entertainment value. If you're doing it live, you get to be with your friends, or if you know people, you become a community. If you, if you go to the same NFBC dra- auction over and over again, you know people, you say hello, you become friends. It's a way to, you know, just have fun. Yeah. The thing I'll, I'll leave you with is that, remember, if you have $260 at the auction and you buy a $15 player for $15 and you buy a $20 player for $20 and you buy a $2 player for 2 and you buy people at par value the whole way up, you'll end up with a roster of $260 worth of players. That is not bad, right? It's not good, though. It's an average team. You'll finish mid-pack. You want to buy players at bargains according to your own values right you want a guy get a guy for three less for four less for two less for one less at the top sure go one or two over but if you don't get bargains on most of your players you're not going to end up with a good team you're going to end up with an average team all right well that is the end of the episode before we go i wanted to thank of course jeff erickson for coming on the podcast why don't you just tell everybody where uh, we can uh, read your stuff listen to you and all things jeff erickson 
Yeah, I talk too much, guys, so you can find me a lot of places. I'm on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. Uh, beginning on the 19th of February, I'll be back to daytime, 12 to 2 Eastern time. Uh, myself and Nick Whalen. Uh, I'll also be on the Sunday show as well with Todd Zola. I do three podcasts a week with Rotowire, uh, Sunday night typically, and then Tuesday with Fred Zinke and Thursday with the guest of the industry. Uh, the Sunday night one with Scott Genstad, who is amazing and awesome. Both Scott and Fred make me smarter, uh, and that's 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 a, that's an accomplishment so i'm proud of them for that i mean they're um I, I have a lot of room to grow and they they help me grow so it's it's really fun you can follow me on twitter at jeff underscore erickson and check out all of our work at rotowire rotowire.com slash pod we'll get you a free peek behind the paywall uh no credit cards there required guys just a valid email address off you go give you a taste of the site hopefully you want to subscribe and I have to tell you that uh, I listen to all three of those editions, of, and they're all distinct, by the way, a week. And I, I never get tired of listening to Jeff Erickson. I mean, he's just Aww. fantastic. You've listened to the show right now, so you know what he sounds like. Definitely, if you haven't heard the podcast, it's a different flavor every week, plus the Sirius XM show, which I catch when I can. Definitely listen to, uh, to Jeff. Uh, great stuff, great content, and fantastic voice. What about you, Ruvain? You can follow me on tw- Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. I also have a weekly injury article on Rotoballer discussing all the injuries and on when the players will be back and who's next up. And my name's Ariel Cohen. I'm on Twitter at ATCNY. You can read my stuff over at Fangraphs at Rotoballer. The ATC projections are up. They're out on a bunch of sites on Rotoballer, on Fangraphs, CBS Sportsline, and now this year. Also on Rotowire, so another reason to sign up for Rotowire as well. For more information about an auction, I did a, a presentation over at PitchCon on auction strategies. So check it out. It's part of the uh, PitchCon presentations of 2024. You can take a look at it on the PitcherList YouTube channel. I definitely urge you for more information. Don't miss out on that one. All right, once again, thank you so much to Jeff Erickson for coming on the show. Hope you thought this was helpful for you. And from everyone here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.